Get ready, Avalanche Territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hello again, everyone, and welcome into the Mile High Hockey Podcast. As we start things off in 2022, I am Mike Evans and always try to have a special guest each and every week, and I am really looking forward to this one, the great... Sandy Clough joins me, and we have a long history of talking avalanche hockey, covering avalanche hockey, going back to their second Stanley Cup in 2001, and uh, playoff runs before and after that, great times in L.A. and St. Louis and Detroit and New Jersey and all that stuff, Aero Mexico uh, stories as well, so thank you so much for uh, taking some time, Dr. Zero. My pleasure, Mike. Let's jump right into it. The goal everybody's talking about, Kale McCarr's overtime winner. Uh, first of all, b- before we talk about where it fits in the pantheon of all-time great avalanche goals and everything like that, you're a longtime hockey fan. Tell me, if you can, a defenseman that you can best compare to what you watch when you watch Kale McCarr play. Well, the other night he looked like the right-handed version of Bobby Orr. And I think we're in agreement on this. Uh, I believe, with apologies to the Gretzkys and the Lemuse and the Gordy Howes, Guy Lafleur's the greatest player of all time was Bobby Orr. He transformed the game. And McCarr plays the game much like the latest version of Bobby Orr. He's effective in all three zones. He can do magical things with the puck. Every highlight I've seen has been narrated the same way. Remember, this guy is a defenseman doing this, (laughs) basically going one-on-three. If you look at the tighter shots, the two avalanche forwards, McKinnon (laughs) and Landeskog, aren't even in the picture frame. (laughs) It's just astonishing. Um, He's the ultimate byproduct of the evolution Mm -hmm. of hockey and offensive defensemen, the likes of Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, maybe Dennis Potvin to a lesser extent, Brian Leach. Uh, You can draw up a list, but it's a very short one, of defensemen who have 14 goals this time of year. Maybe Orr. Uh, in the last couple of full years of his career could match it, but that's about it. You you touched on something that I, I, I want to pick up on is the idea that you have to remind yourself that you're watching a defenseman because when you watch him make plays offensively, you could very easily imagine this guy being some teams, one of their top two centermen. Exactly. Or one of their top forwards. And you almost get the sense that if the Avalanche really found themselves in a pinch, this guy could be moved up to play a, 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 a center, not? top six role and and give us the same kind of performances and goals that we, we see him as a defenseman. I don't know that he'd score anymore, though, because he's on a pace for 30 mm-hmm. and probably closer to 35, 36. I don't know about 40. That would be hard, but he plays on the power play, and he plays quite frequently with Taves and that top 
line, which is the best five-man unit in hockey, hands down. And they can all score. They can all defend. They can play with the puck, without the puck. Uh, It's just remarkable to see them out there together. And if they're all healthy at the same time, Jared Bednar had a great statement the other night after the Chicago game. He said, you can't just rely on a top line because often those three are playing against five defenders, especially a top line. Five defenders. But he says, we've got Makar and Taves, so we're playing five on five. We're not playing three on five. I was looking at the the list of the top all-time scoring defensemen, and you got your Borks, your Phil Housley's, your yep. your Paul Coffey's, uh, Brian Leach's of the world. And I, I think – I don't think that Kale McCarr will probably be able to reach maybe the numbers that these guys put up just because of the way the game is played compared to the Wild and Wooly days of certainly the, the 80s and 70s. But I, yeah. I, I do think – Stylistically, you can make the claim that this guy is is could go down as one of the most distinctive offensive defensemen to ever play the game, even if the numbers maybe don't ever get him to that plateau, just the way he plays it much the same way as a Bobby Orr. Because if you look at the all-time list of, of scoring defensemen, Bobby Orr's not in the top five. Or anything like that, but yet everybody because his agrees career was too short. He was right. he was the greatest of them oh, all. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the goal that McCarr scored earlier this year, which now is overshadowed, where he went end to end, that was Orr. That was Orr. That was Orr. That was Orr. And actually, the goal he scored the other night sort of stylistically reminded me of Orr ragging the puck in penalty killing situations. Right. And at one point. Basically, for the entire two-minute penalty, he had the puck, and he was just circling around and deking and uh, beating the five guys out there on uh, the power play, uh, doing a defensive thing. But this was McCarr doing an offensive thing, and I don't think Bobby Orr played a lot of three-on-three hockey, but you see three-on-three hockey now in overtimes, so maybe this is the first of many... Macar magic moments in three on three hockey. So, okay, now where does this goal rank among the all time great Avalanche goals? Adrian Dater came out and said it may be the best goal he's seen in twenty six years. I, my first thought was, okay, hold on a second. I don't want to get caught in being a prisoner of the moment. So I did go back, did a little YouTube surfing, and I just immediately looked for Peter Forsberg. Yes, and all apologies to Kale McCarr. I found four Peter Forsberg goals that I would probably put ahead mainly because, and if I have to hold something against McCarr, I guess it it was three on three. There was a lot of open ice and I'm watching Forsberg goals where he's he's literally on him. He's five guys are hanging on him. Three (laughs) guys or or he skates through all five guys at one point with three or two of them hanging on him at least the whole time. You know what though? This year, Kale McCarr, will likely do something, if he stays healthy, that Peter Forsberg never did. Score more than 30 goals. Right. Now, Peter Forsberg scored 30 one year, yep. but he never scored more than 30, and I think McCarr will score more than 30 this year. But 
all the more reason to remember some of those fantastic oh. uh, goals by Forsberg. And there was a night in Florida uh, back in the 90s where I think he scored four goals and the Avalanche were way behind. They came back to win something like six to five. And he was a one-man wrecking crew. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you just – and it's – I'm not trying it at all to diss Kale McCarr, but it, it did give me a chance to sort of go back and appreciate the brilliance of, of Peter Forsberg and some of the plays that he made. And it was also kind of melancholy at the same time because you realized how much we were robbed of the chance because to see of the foot more injuries. Correct. plays like that. Correct. So, but the Avalanche are rolling along. The the overall contributions that they're getting from their defense is that something? Do you get the sense that has has been a point of emphasis that the game, the the game plans, the strategy has been set up in a way to try to get more from their blue line? I think so, uh, because when you talk about secondary scoring, uh, I think the Avs are getting it from their forwards to an extent, but their secondary scoring really consists of defensemen. Eric Johnson has more goals this year than Nathan McKinnon I'm has. Astounding. Five to three. Eric Johnson didn't play hockey last year. Most people thought he was done, at least as someone wearing an avalanche sweater, and he comes out with five goals. You've got Taves, who if not from a car – I think would get more notice, maybe more all-star talk for Devon Taves, yep. who after all in just 18 games this year is plus 21. And that's fourth up. in the league. I mean, up. that's ridiculous. What a pick. Up. And uh, they got him for two second-round yeah. draft picks. So, yes, I think given what Bednar said the other night, part of the plan, certainly when you have McCarr and Taves out there, and to an extent when you have Samuel Gerrard and Bo Byram, out there as a pair, they want these people involved in the offense and puck possession is the key. And you know what? If they give up some more goals and they do give up 3.31 goals per game, it's worth it for all of the additional goal scoring and playmaking provided by defensemen. They have almost 100 points this year from their defensemen mm-hmm. and 32 goals last year in the regular season, 56 games. They had 26 goals from an offensive-minded defense score. This year they already have 32. I looked it up. You may remember it. Uh, they did get Rob Blake late in their last Stanley Cup winning season, 2000-2001. So he only had two regular season goals with the Avalanche. But overall, 34 goals from defensemen throughout that Stanley Cup year. And already, it's not even mid-season, Mike. It's barely a third of the way through the season. And they have 32 goals. Stanley Cup champion at 34, and we thought that was great. Yep. And you know who was the leading goal scorer? A guy we forget. Adrian and I talked about this on the Avs postgame the other night. Martin Skula had eight goals that year. He was the leading defenseman in terms of goal scoring. Bork had seven. Uh, Greg DeVries had five. Mm-hmm. Blake had two uh, in an Avalanche uniform. But the total was 34 for an 82-game season. Yep. And... They may break 
that record well before oh, midseason. Obliterate it. You know, it's it's funny. You mentioned Nathan McKinnon. Fourteen Avalanche players have more goals than Nathan <laughs> McKinnon. The immortal Darren Helm has more goals than Nathan McKinnon. Bo Byram, in only 15 games, has right. more goals. Tyson Jost has more goals. Alex Newhook, JT Comfer, Eric right. Johnson, Logan O'Connor, Devontae's all have more goals than Nathan McKinnon. Now, on one hand, I'm just inclined to sit back and say, they're doing all this. Wait until McKinnon takes off. The other part of me, is there something wrong with McKinnon that explains why He's, he's not scoring more goals. Oh, he's on a double-digit uh, game point streak. Yeah, got uh, 25 he's, assists. It, it, nothing wrong with the number of assists he's got. And the strange thing, again, is that he is on pace for about a 90-point season. <laughs> How about three goals or five goals and 85 assists? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. It, it seems to me that in watching him, he's a little bit snake bit, but... You look at the people on his line. Landeskog's having his best year, I think. He, and boy, Joe Sackick was right to pick Landeskog over Grubauer as the guy they went the extra mile to sign. And when Grubauer asked for more than five million, he was not going a penny over five million a year. And Grubauer's having an awful year uh, with Seattle. And then you've got Rantanen, who's got fifteen goals and is tied for 16th in the NHL in goal scoring. So you've got gifted uh, goal scorers, especially Rantanen is gifted. Uh, Landeskog is kind of that garbage man who gets a lot of stuff around the net. But the attention created by McKinnon, who still draws attention, leaves so much room, so much time for Rantanen and Landeskog that the effect is is the same. It's just those guys are scoring a lion's share of the goals. But as much as McKinnon plays on the power play, uh, the Avs uh, on the power play are at 23.7%, ninth in the league. I think they can be a top-five power play team. They should be a top-five power play team, and he'll get his share of goals just on the power play. Do do you see sometimes the greats decide mid-career, you know what? This is the year I'm going to really improve this part of my game. I'm going old, old, old school here, but there was one year where Will Chamberlain just decided, you know what, I think I'm going to lead the league in assists. And he did, right? So do you get any sense watching McKinnon night tonight that he's making perhaps more of an emphasis, Jokic style, to be a bit more of a distributor and playmaker and get everybody more involved, knowing that, hey, secondary scoring's been an issue with the Avs last year, that this is maybe just his way of trying to be a little bit maybe more of a facilitator. Maybe. And I do think the speed at which he's playing now is very different from the speed he was playing with coming off COVID at the beginning of the year. And I always think... In these situations, that that can always be a factor. Um, Maybe he isn't entirely back to full strength. Uh, You know, he had a point streak going, then there was the 16-day lockdown. Uh, Now he's back. I think he's faster than he was at the beginning of the year, no question about it. 
I think he's got some of his strength back. And I think we forget he's always been unselfish. I mean, he is not a puck hog. Uh, He is a good passer. He has great vision. He sees most everything. And I think for what the Avalanche need right now, it's just remarkable to me that he scored three goals this year and the Avalanche are averaging almost half a goal a game more than anybody else in the league at 4.21. It's just amazing to me. And uh, on ESPN Plus the other night on the telecast, they were talking about, you know, the Avalanche get off the bus and they've got four goals. And you're thinking third period the other night, they're down 3-2. They probably won't get to four tonight. They may even lose, and they get to four. And they're down 2 nothing against Anaheim on Sunday. And you're thinking, well, even if they come back, they won't get four goals. This is John Gibson in the net. He's one of the five best goaltenders in hockey. They get four goals. Now, it took them uh, <laughs> to the end of the game in an empty net goal to get to four. But, but still, if, if it were affecting their overall production, I would say he's got to assert himself and score more goals, just like Jokic in a game against Utah this week took only 17 shots, has to be more assertive. But they are scoring, so it's all good, and I suspect, uh, you know, there will be a progression Mm -hmm. to the mean, and he'll end up getting his 20 goals. Okay, and we're visiting Sandy Clough, joining me here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast, of course, Sandy and loves talking hockey, and you get to hear him and Sean Drotar, they do an outstanding job with the Avalanche postgame show immediately following all Avalanche games. And simply put, is is this year's Avalanche team, with all the fits and starts and stops to the season and injuries and COVID shutdowns, everything like that, as you take and try to take the 38,000-foot view of this team, is this team better than last year's team? I, I can't say that, but you know what? Their pace, I believe, uh, through... The number of games they played so far, 29, I think it is, uh, they're doing better than they did last year. Uh, They're giving up more goals. And, uh, you know, we all love to watch high-scoring hockey, Mm -hmm. let's face it. And I bite my tongue as I say this, but at some point prior to the playoffs, they're going to have to get in the habit of winning games where they only score two or three. Uh, You know, with them, it's not just the first of three goals. They win a lot of games when the opposition gets to three first, but it's first to four. Well, I I don't think in the playoffs, certainly, you can count on scoring four goals a game. So at some point, they're going to have to tighten up. At some point, Darcy Kemper is going to have to pitch a shutout. His numbers aren't terrible, but... 2.74 2.74 and a 908 save percentage, eh, not great. That, I mean, that's borderline. If he were at 9.2 and the goals against is 2.4 or 2.3, I'd say they're in pretty good shape. Uh, they do have to tighten up some things defensively. And uh, when I see Byram and Gerard on the ice together, I get a little nervous because if the play involves action in front of their own net, they aren't big enough to dislodge right. people. We saw that with the Jonathan Taves goal against Girard the other night. It, it's 
it's unfair, and I, I certainly don't want – I want everybody to enjoy this regular season, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy it for what you've already seen and what it figures to be the rest of the way. But there is that element of yeah, but that, that hangs over this team that no matter what they do during the regular season, there is that feeling that until you prove Darcy Kemper that you can be a goalie that can take a team deep that Philip Grubauer couldn't. Until Bo Byram, Sammy Gerrard, Kale McCarr, you show that you can hold up defensively. We know what you can do offensively, mm-hmm. but hold up defensively against a heavy team, a Vegas, a St. Louis, what have you, that comes after you. Until they prove it, there has to be, no matter what they do during the regular season, just that little bit of nagging doubt in your mind, right? The interesting thing, yes, absolutely, uh, last year was that they handled the heavy team in the first round and the first two games of uh, the conference semifinals, uh, they handled Vegas. But in the end, uh, the heaviness was more than they could handle. Uh, Kadri being out didn't help. But, yes, in much the way back east, fans in Toronto say, I don't want to hear about the regular season. I want to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Tell me, wake me when you get past the first now round of the playoffs, and I'll really take you seriously. By that. Now, yeah. that, that's a yeah. sophisticated market yeah. with high demands, but I think the same is true here with respect to the second round, and... Uh, from what we've heard, particularly in an earlier season game against Vegas, the Avalanche hear about that. They get chirped on that by opposing teams, as in no wonder you guys can't get out of the Mm -hmm. second round. So there's that barrier. You said it's a test for Kemper. Undoubtedly, it's a test for McCarr. It's a test for McKinnon. It's a test for Gerard and Byram. Most of all, it's a test for Jerry Bednar, though as a coach, because his regular season excellence and career wins as an avalanche coach, uh, I think he's still behind Michelle Bergeron, who won a bunch of games in Quebec City. But as far as wins as the Colorado Avalanche, he's number one. But he ain't number one in playoff winning percentage. Mark Crawford and Bob Hartley uh, are one and two or two and one in that category. Joel Quenville won a playoff series each year he was here with much less talent than uh, they have here. They win one playoff series, but it's one and done, and they've got to overcome that this year. McKinnon had the quote that will continue to be recycled right up until the playoffs begin and even during the playoffs. This is my ninth year, and we haven't won spit, except he didn't say spit. Mm -hmm. So – what do you what do you do during this regular season? If you if you look at this team and and they certainly appear to have everything you want, what could they add to? Because the great Avalanche teams that Joe Sackick was a player on never hesitated to say there's never enough. And and Pierre Lacroix was always so good at going out and making those moves uh, that would that would even that would help fortify a team, fortify a strength, maybe add a little bit to a weakness. And if anything, just kind of really give a real energy boost to that room with the understanding that, hey, we know you're, you're, you're a great team. Here's how much we believe in you. Here's Rob Blake. Here's Ray Bork. You know, these kind of moves. Do you see the Avalanche and Joe Sackick doing something like that? And in what area 
what can this team stand to improve during the regular season? I still look at the goaltending, and mm. there are goaltenders out there floating around. Some have been released uh, by teams. Adrian Dater dropped uh, Carey Price's name. Yes. Uh, that's interesting. Now, he's fought through some things uh, off the ice uh, having to do with mental health, but he carried the Montreal Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final last year. Look at and him I think, without him. You, you know, you have to watch uh, Kemper and Francois when he plays and make a decision as to what is good enough and are they meeting that standard. Uh, for now, uh, you know, I, I would have said earlier in the season, in terms of secondary scoring, they might need to make a move. But uh, it, you saw Logan O'Connor play mm-hmm. at DU. He's a better pro than he was He's a college He's a much player. better pro than he was a college <laughs> player. His freshman year at DU, and we've seen Borgstrom and Troy Terry on opposing teams recently, and I, I, I sort of laugh, they were all part of national championship uh, success at DU about five years ago. And that year, Logan O'Connor was a healthy scratch in 21 games. More than half the games they played that year, he was a healthy scratch. Now, by the end of the year, he was a valuable contributor, but he was a checker. And now we're seeing the speed and a little bit of skill to go with that speed. And it's almost like they made a trade for an additional player, because he's a totally different player this year. With Nashushkin out, he's up on a second line with Kadri and Burakovsky. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you kidding me? And the other day, he scores uh, the game winner on a play that was originally started by McCarr, but Ranton and McKinnon got the assists. O'Connor made the finishing play. He, he was the last guy out of those three guys, uh, four of them. He was the last guy you wanted to see finishing the play, except the kind of play he made was that of a guy who very much belonged on the ice with those other three guys. So I'm not sure. Certainly uh, up front, I don't think they need to do much uh, defensively. Eric Johnson has been kind of the Logan O'Connor of of this year. He's having one of his two or three best years in an avalanche uniform, and he was supposedly done after the injury last year. Uh, Jack Johnson isn't a a 20-minute-a-game defenseman anymore, but he's competent, he's steady, and you've got Byram and Girard. Uh, I know Girard drives some people crazy Mm -hmm. because he can get out-muscled in front of – his own net when he doesn't have the puck, obviously. When he has the puck, he's terrific. Uh, I think Byram and Gerard are, are the key guys. And uh, I don't know uh, whether Patrick Waugh would have wanted these two guys uh, playing leading roles on defense. But for this group, I think they believe in their style. And I, I think they'll play it in the playoffs. And... Uh, you know, if Nazem Kadri can stay on the ice and not get suspended again, I think they have the makings of a very good playoff. Team. Isn't that amazing? You, you you look at 
the keys to a long playoff run and just say if this a guy can avoid getting suspended <laughs> for the playoffs, right? You would think if that's well, all well, I have to Well, fifth in points in the league. Right. He's valuable. You, you would think if that's my only concern, bring it on. Yeah. But in this case, you are worried about his ability to, to actually be in uniform during the playoffs. I think you have to be yeah. when it's three out of four years – and it's That's last year, yes. uh, you know, and the initial thought I had last year was, well, he's having a lousy year. They won't miss him that much. But they did miss yeah. him because it put everybody else into roles that they weren't capable of filling, and it put tremendous pressure on the top line, guys. Real quick, uh, how how would you handicap this division that they have to right. climb out of? now? Nashville's a surprise, leading the way. Yes. Uh, they've, they've had a tremendous bounce-back season. Uh, so I'll just kind of throw a bunch of questions out there, and you could, you could tackle them all at once. Is Nashville legit, back to the level that they were at a few years ago? Is St. Louis back? And what about those kind of um, wild-card teams that I think you've got to put Minnesota, Winnipeg, and, and Dallas all into? I think the Az will finish first. Uh, they're four points behind Nashville and three points behind St. Louis, but they are in third. And if you're one, two, or three, that guarantees you got a you bunch of games in hand too. A playoff spot, and they have all these games in hand. Uh, I think Nashville is for real. Uh, another first round match with St. Louis. I I think the Abs would bring a lot of confidence into that series. Uh, if they don't finish first and they finish second or third and St. Louis finishes second or third, uh, with or without home ice advantage, I'd uh, like the Avs uh, in that series. But you're right, Minnesota is slumping off lately, but they're the team that would scare me as a wild card team if they could get into uh, the top uh, three or they otherwise qualify uh, for the playoffs and the Avalanche have to play the Wild in the first round. I would actually rather play St. Louis uh, than Minnesota. And the Wild, another team with a bunch of games in hand. Uh, not as many as the Avalanche have, but a bunch of games in hand uh, on people. Uh, you know, it's a pretty good division. Uh, Chicago has kind of leveled off after mm-hmm. the coaching change. Uh, and Arizona's, of course, just... Awful and undoubtedly, but the there's worst not team really the a league. team in the division as a first round opponent that you'd be like, eh. no, yeah, no, not really. Now, uh, if you look at the other division right. in later rounds, there you have the heavy teams with some very good goaltending Vegas, Anaheim, uh, even Calgary. Edmonton seems to have hit the skids, and there's something missing yeah. there. And I don't think the Avalanche would mind playing Edmonton anyway, right? Because Edmonton plays like the Avalanche. Team. I think it still comes down to the, really the only team in the West that would 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 worry me be Vegas again, exactly. You know, and other than exactly. that, other than there, and and they would have a psychological yeah. advantage that the Avalanche would have to overcome. Sure, somehow. Sure, sure. Well, hey, maybe somebody will help the Avs out along the way and knock off uh, knock Could off happen. Vegas. Sandy, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing it. It it, it went so well. You know I'm going to be – you're going to be getting the tap on the, the back uh, again, okay, from the, the coach. You're Feels gonna, like old you're, times. You're going to get called out on the top line again. So uh, Feels like old times. Yeah, Remember when we were broadcasting from Madison Square Garden in the Stanley Cup final, right? There was a studio in Madison yes, Square Garden. that's we right. We were doing shows oh, from there. So much, man, we had so oh, much fun. We had some great, great stories along the way. That was and, great. 
what what a what a team that was to cover, and boy, it'd be great to to follow this team. Well, this team has that potential. They do. They've got to do it. Of course, they've got to do it. But they have that kind of potential. They have that potential. It's what makes them um, such a fascinating team because the most fascinating team in the city right now. Yeah, easily because we we know they have everything that it takes to be a, a, a world champion. Yep, but. Can they get over some of those those mental and maybe physical mm-hmm. hurdles yep. come playoff time? Sandy, thank you very much. We'll definitely do this again as we roll through the rest of this uh, long hockey season on into the playoffs. Thank you so much, everybody, to listening to the Mile High Hockey Podcast. For Sandy Clough, I'm Mike Evans, and we'll be back again next week.